Good morning and welcome to Echoes of Calvary. This is your host, Greg Sweeting. Thank you for opening your home to us this morning. I invite you to now open your hearts and worship with us as we share from the Word of God. Stay with us as we share comments and illustrations with a spiritual application, present special music to call us to worship, and in a few minutes, Pastor Alan Lee will come to share insights from Scripture and explain how to apply God's Word that we might grow to be complete in Christ. I read a fascinating article recently about atheism and the Muslim faith. It was interesting to note the similarities and also the stark differences between atheists in the West and atheists from the Middle Eastern area. I suppose I should not be surprised. All over the world, regardless of what religious background one comes from, there is a time when a person has to make a call on whether or not they believe that there is a God or not. Some put it in the background all their lives, refusing to face the question, not needing to or wanting to make a decision. There are times, though, when confronted with a tragedy or when making a life-changing decision that the reality stops them like a brick wall. I recall the quote that there is no such thing as an atheist in a foxhole. In the center of such devastation of war and at risk of dying at any moment, the soldier knows he must be sure of that question the question that he may have avoided all of his life until that moment. If there is a God, he may be face to face with him very soon. I guess the implication is that under these extreme circumstances, almost every soldier makes a decision to believe just in case. We often hear of so-called deathbed confessions. On the verge of slipping into eternity, many on their deathbeds turn to God in their hour of greatest need and ask for him to intervene on their behalf. And speaking of the hour of need, in a time of crisis, when facing the probability of death or in an emergency for God to help them or their loved one. People call out to God to help them through these crises when they may have never ever thought about God up till that moment, in any serious way at least. The Bible has a lot to say about people expecting God to hear and intervene in their life situations. Those who believe at the time and those who have never believed in God till then. Most think of God immediately when there's no other hope. I suppose this is true if one is in a Christian environment and background or a Muslim one, though I suspect that there are differences in how they think of God and his involvement with men and women. But regardless, if one is an atheist, there is not much thought given to God's involvement in our lives, is there? Here's our first song call.
One difference that I notice between the Western atheist and the Middle Eastern one is the level of governmental and community involvement. Most, if not all, Muslim countries have religion as the center of their government. Some are moderate, others are fundamental, and some are even extremist. Some Muslim countries assume that you are born into your parents' religion. This being the case, then, if a child then declares he is an atheist, he is immediately an apostate, rejecting his parents and therefore his faith. Many of these countries have the death penalty arranged for such apostasy. At worst, jail and certainly persecution become a way of life for those brave enough to announce that they are atheists. In Indonesia, the article that I read reported one man that operated a website for atheists was attacked by mobs even as the court sentenced him to two years in jail for his Facebook declaration, God does not exist. His crime? Inciting religious hatred, they said. In some Muslim countries, it is law that everyone must declare themselves to be a member of one of several stated religions. For example, Egypt's draft constitution allows for three religions only, and you must choose one of them. Either your faith is Christianity, Judaism, or Islam. What a stark difference between living in that world and what we enjoy here in the West. It was Christianity that actually delivered this freedom to us, if we look back far enough. We are a blessed people indeed, and that freedom extends to the atheists as well as to those of us who believe. The big difference comes when one reaches the end of the journey. We believe what the Bible says. No one can come to the Father, that is, into heaven, unless they come through Jesus, his Son. It's as simple as that. Now with his message for today, here is our pastor, Alan Lee. Good morning and greetings once again in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Christmas is only nine days away, a day on which more people will probably demonstrate more farce, hypocrisy and untruth than any other day of the year. I say this because many will celebrate who don't even believe in Christ. Many will do so even though they do believe in him, but still live as though he never did, much less believe that Jesus Christ lives today. Many will do things in the name of Christ of Christmas purely for selfish and greedy reasons rather than to celebrate the unselfish and sacrificial act modeled by God the Father when he gave his only son to become a baby so that he could eventually die for the sin of the world. But as far as many will be concerned, the question is, so what? Once they have a good time, it really doesn't matter why Christ came or even if he came in the first place. In essence, what has been said and lived out is that what we believe really has no bearing on what we practice once we get out of the practice or observance what we want for ourselves. The true essence of reality of the event is secondary to what we want it to be or to mean. In other words, we put our own meaning and significance into it. It's amazing how we can rationalize anything to make it religious or even Christian, isn't it? Mark my word, and although I am not a prophet, I am making a prophecy today. In light of the current emphasis that we place on culture, I prophesy that the Jankanu Rush will become a prominent part of the worship of many churches and perhaps even as important as observance of the Lord's Supper. And you know something? Some preachers will find a biblical text to validate the practice. 
think on these things, my friend. We have done this with the observance of Christmas, haven't we? Think for a moment. By its very definition, Christmas means Christ is sent. Christmas is about Jesus. It focuses on the incarnation of the eternal Son of God as a finite baby human beginning in an actual point in history. But let me ask you, how many of you who are listening to me, really I mean, how many of you really are focused on that truth, that part of Christ's coming? How many of you plan to make this the basis and the catalyst, and yes, even the passion for your celebration this year? How many of you will place worship as a priority rather than as a mere token during the coming week? Christmas is supposed to be a celebration about the blessed and wondrous truth that God became a baby human being that he may grow up into a man who would give his life as a sacrifice to save his people from their sins. Response to this glorious event should be the basis and focus of our celebration, not our involvement in an expression of the very sins he came to save us from. Christmas, my friends, is about Jesus, not about us. Listen again to the word of God in Matthew 1.23. Behold, a virgin shall be with child and shall bring forth a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which being interpreted is God with us. And also Galatians 4.4. But when the fullness of time was come, God sent forth his son, made of a woman, made under the law. Notice in these passages, God's sending forth in Galatians 4.4 4 was Mary's bringing forth in Matthew 1.23. So these texts are clear. Jesus existed before he was brought forth, that is, born of Mary. He had a preconceived existence. He existed, in other words, before he was divinely and miraculously conceived in the womb of the Virgin Mary. If Jesus were examined when he was born using the latest in DNA technology of today, no scientist would have been able to determine his deity. They would not have had any basis for doing so. His deity was not something that was scientifically determined. It could only be divinely revealed. Recall what was said to Peter in Matthew 16, 13. This was not revealed to you by man, but by my Father in heaven. He was referring to the fact that Peter called him the Son of the living God. Matthew 1.23 says that he would be called Emmanuel, God with us. That's more than a name of personal identification. It's a description of the nature of Jesus, speaks about who he is. But it also suggests that there was a time when God was not with us, in the sense he was with us when Jesus came. Galatians 4.4 tells us that God's Son was sent forth when the fullness of time was come. Notice, time was pregnant with Jesus Christ. That's the point here. He was not sent to earth via the womb of the Virgin Mary until time itself was ready to deliver him. So we have really two aspects of the miracles here. Time delivering Jesus at just exact time and, of course, being conceived in the Virgin's womb. Mary's divine delivery was the result of time sovereignly determined delivery itself by God. 
Paul calls the result of this double divine delivery the mystery of godliness. Listen to what he says in 1 Timothy 3.16. Without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifest in the flesh, justified in the spirit, seen of angels, preached unto the Gentiles, believed on in the world, received up into glory. Friends, this is a capsule of the entire incarnate existence of Emmanuel, God with us. But what was he like and what did he do when he was God not with us? He was, above all else, the eternal son of the eternal God. Not simply a son or the son of a virgin or even a son raised from the dead. All these things are true, of course. But the point of the divine revelation is that Jesus is a divine son of an eternal God. This presents the awesome paradoxical divine truth that Jesus, the eternal son, was as old as his eternal father. To put it very succinctly, eternal fatherhood demands eternal sonship. And eternal sonship is the result of eternal generation. And in eternal generation, the father cannot in any way exist before the son. This is true in human generation, but not divine. That's why Jesus is the unique son of God. One of a kind is no one else like him. The relation of the eternal father to the eternal son is eternally correlative and simultaneous. There never was a time when they did not exist as father and son. That's the flip side of the mystery of godliness, which is manifested in the humbling incarnate existence of Emmanuel, God with us. Listen to Hebrews chapter 1, verse 3. The Son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. Notice the text says, concerning his eternal state. In this eternal state, he is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being. The eternal Son manifests the splendor of God's glory, even as the created Son is manifested in the glory of the brightness and splendor of its rays. He is the exact representation of the being and essence of God because he is God. But yet, even as the rays of the sun and the sun itself are separate and distinct from each other, so is the sun separate and distinct from the Father. They are one in essence, but separate and distinct in person. That's what Jesus meant when he said, My Father and I are one. He was referring to the oneness in essence, not in authority or position. The Father is not the Son, and the Son is not the Father, but He is the eternal Son of the eternal Father. They are one God, but two separate persons. Let's allow the Apostle John to shed some more light on this aspect of the mystery of godliness, and I don't want you to lose sight of the mystery of Christmas. John 1.1 1, 1 says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Now, the import of the original text is that when the beginning began, the Word was already there. He preceded the beginning. In fact, he was the source of the beginning. Verse 2 says, He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. Notice, he was. The things that were made were. His existence and that of creation were and are radically different. 
as different as time and eternity. From within his abode in eternity, Jesus spoke and the beginning of time and creation began. John says, through him, all things were made. Without him, nothing was made that was made. His word was the manifestation of his inherent divine essence, even as he is the manifestation of the Father's inherent divine essence. In other words, creation itself is a manifestation of the deity of Jesus as the word. As Paul puts it in Romans 1.20, the invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made. Notice now, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. John says he was with God. The original text gives the idea that the word was on a face-to-face relationship with God. They were two distinct persons, yet they were one in essence. The next phrase makes this clear. The word was God. That's why John states in verse 18 of the first chapter of his gospel these words. No man has seen God at any time. However, the only begotten Son, which is in the bosom of the Father, he has declared him, or he has revealed him. He has exposed him. He has remade him known. The Greek word, he has exegeted him. Jesus exegeted the Father to us. Notice where the Son is said to be, in the bosom of the Father. This speaks of intimacy, closeness, and love. Jesus, as the Word, eternally dwelled in the bosom of the Father. He could hear and feel every beat and pulsation of the heart of God. Listen to the author of Proverbs, where Christ is seen as the personification of wisdom. Listen to these words. Then I was by God, as one brought up with him, and I was daily his delight, rejoicing always before him. Notice what the text says, I was daily his delight. In eternity, in other words, as the eternal son, Jesus was the source of the Father's joy and delight. He was the one who brought a smile to his lips and a sparkle to his eye. And this was an ongoing experience throughout all of eternity past. Notice also that Jesus was happy in his role. The text says, I was rejoicing always before him. If it's one place where Jesus was laughing, it was in heaven, even though there's no indication that he laughed when he was on earth. He was a man of sorrows. But surely, in his pre-incarnate existence, we can say that Jesus, as the Word, was a singing son, because joy and singing go together, even for the Son of God who came on Christmas Day. Imagine then how and what the Father and the Son experienced when this eternal relationship was interrupted, even if only for a short time, imagine what they both must have felt when the intimacy of fellowship was purposely cut off with the other. Imagine the depth and intensity of the void they both must have experienced in the depth of their divine being. Imagine the deep, agonizing, emotional pain that it must have been for God the Son and God the Father on that first Christmas in heaven. If you can begin to imagine such an experience, you'll perhaps begin to enter into the personal pain of the eternal Father and the eternal Son, when the Son became, in an historical sense, Emmanuel, God with us. You would then begin to begin to enter into what Christmas meant for the triune God, and what it should mean for us as well. Perhaps also, 
It would help us to impact our culture for Christ during this Christmas time, rather than having our culture distract us from Christ during this time. My friends, I say to you again as I close today, Christmas is about Jesus, not about us. Sila, think and act on these things. You have been listening to Echoes of Calvary, a radio ministry of Calvary Bible Church in Nassau, Bahamas. Our morning worship service begins this morning at 11 o'clock in the sanctuary located on Collins Avenue. We extend an invitation to you to join us on these occasions. If you would like to contact the church or Pastor Lee, address your letters to Echoes of Calvary, Post Office Box N1684, Nassau, Bahamas. And so we come to an end of this broadcast. I invite you to think about the message this morning. Consider the one who is our Savior and Lord. Grow to be complete in Him. And remember, as echoes from Calvary stir in your heart, keep listening for that shout, Maranatha, the Lord is coming soon. The great commander's promise, he will surely come again. I am listening every listening moment, moment for the mighty trumpet sound. What a time we'll have together when the saints shall leave the happen in a moment, Jesus Christ could come again. I am listening every moment for the mighty trumpet sound. What a time we'll have together when the saints shall leave the ground and our toiling will be in a moment Jesus Christ could come again